Hey everybody, I hope you're doing great out there. Paul Peterson here, Music on the Run. Our next guest is Jason Faulkner, coming right up. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 39 of Music on the Run. Man, summer's here and guess what? It's busy. We're starting to gear up to do some gigs. Man, I'm so excited to play with other humans in actually in the same physical space. Of course, we're doing Funk Fridays. We've done 64 of them now. Man, every week since the pandemic, a little one-minute jam. Thanks for tuning into those. We've had over 95 world-class musicians doing that. So that's all a part of what we do here at Music on the Run. But now, I don't even know if I know how to play with other musicians in the same room. Anyway, let's get to my next guest. Uh, he's an incredible songwriter, producer, singer, and multi-instrumentalist. A former member of the bands Jellyfish, The Three O'Clock, and The Grays. He's also a studio and touring musician who's worked with people like Paul McCartney, Beck, Amy Mann, St. Vincent, Vincent, to name a few. He's released a lot of solo records that are unbelievable. I've been going to school on him incredibly hard the last few days here. And uh, a fun fact is that we were both on Paisley Park Records at different times. He's a great writer, such an interesting take sonically, lyrically, melodically, and incredibly musical. Please welcome Jason Faulkner. Thank you. I, I think I said incredibly 75 times, and I'm going to go back and count. It's <laughs> okay. At least you can say genius a bunch of times. Would you it's like that? A, Let me, just, take you know, two, everybody. Genius. Take two. These eggs Man. are genius. What did you say? Thanks for having me. Well, I should, and I shall. For the yeah. next hour, I shall be flattering you. Where, <laughs> where am I finding you, man? Are you, are you in L.A.? Or? Yeah, I'm on my porch in, uh, in Echo Park, Los Angeles. I have a good friend who used to live there by the name of Jeff Hull, great uh, sing singer, songwriter, uh, drummer. And we, I used to go to Echo Park all the time back in the 90s. Man, that's a great little neighborhood. Uh, oh, yeah, when Echo Park was kind of a no man's land. I suppose. I, I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Echo Park is like really, I mean, the whole east side of Los Angeles has kind of been blown out in the last, last decade or so. But uh, it's still, I mean, this, this place I'm in uh, in the 90s would have been about $400 a month rent and now it's uh put it put another zero and then oh some. man yeah. so. <laughs> you're a multi-instrumentalist man i mean it'd be easier for me to narrow it down to what don't you play i don't play any uh sort of violin viola low and i don't play really any uh brass or and i played clarinet in, in junior high school but i was so embarrassed uh play it uh <laughs> licorice my, stick it's it's probably best because I wanted a saxophone, but my parents couldn't they they couldn't afford the uh, the rental of the saxophone, but right. because the clarinet was so much cheaper, because nobody wanted to play it. So I uh, so I I got the clarinet um, 
And again, it's probably best because maybe there'd be a lot of like Clarence Clemens kind of uh, penalties happening in my music had I uh, had I saxophone. <laughs> 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 to me, a sax- saxophone in rock is a really slippery slope. It sure is. Is there such a thing? So, except for except for Clarence, I think he can get by yeah, with that. He's he's good, and I like the kind of sleazy New York saxophone in like you know David Johansson records and. Uh, you know, some Lou Reed saxophone stuff. I like that. It's kind what, of about like a, what about the David Sanborn solo in the Young Americans, though? What do you think? It's good. It's just so damn slick. And the only reason it doesn't sound so slick is because he's in the company of Bowie, which you know he he toughened everything up. But man, yeah, I'm not a not a huge not huge into that. Not huge <laughs> into that. Actually, saxophone and rock and roll. There you go. Yeah, I'm also a multi instrumentalist, and I get asked the question. You know, you play a lot of things. Do you have a favorite instrument? So I want to ask you that. You lean towards one instrument? Are you more comfortable on one instrument? Definitely lean towards the guitar. Um, even though I started with classical piano when I was, I started playing piano first when I was very young, you know, like uh, when I was playing it from underneath like this, walking around. Um, did, did I did I hear you were playing, uh, oh, what song were you playing at eye level, man? Uh, some boogie woogie stuff or something. Elton John. Rock. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my mom tells the story. Of course, I can't remember, but yeah, I used to. I guess I play along to crocodile rock, and uh, but yeah, so I so I got into classical piano when I was really young. But for the longest, basically, since I got my first electric guitar, which was a '73 Mustang, which I still have. Oh, uh, that's good. I, I just the guitar is just so cool to me. It's just such a, it's a, such an interesting thing. It's this conduit to uh, to basically like the dark side, um, mm. but in a wonderful way. Um, it's just the, the, the spirit of, of, you know, like a, just the sound of a distorted guitar is just so damn exciting to me. And it still is. It was certainly intoxicating when I was a kid. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I still, I mean, I have about 30 guitars now and <laughs> all, um, all kind of, uh, unusual suspects. I don't have like Les Pauls or Strats. Or, yeah, I never wanted those guitars. I always wanted something a little weirder. Probably the most normal guitar I have is, is my 62 uh, Jazzmaster. Okay. Uh, and that, you know, Jazzmasters were basically a, a failure for Fender when they first came out. When, they, when Jazzmasters first came out, they were more expensive than crap. Um, and they just kind of, they, didn't, they weren't a successful model. Literally no jazz guys played a jazz. Right. And, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, so I still kind of gravitate towards guitar. But I, oddly enough, on this new record that I've been working on, during this whole pandemic, um, there's a lot more kind of piano-based, even if there's no piano in it, like the composition, there's a lot more piano-based stuff. Do you find yourself writing differently on the different instruments? Do you write differently on the guitar than you do on piano? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, um, I'm still, I'm very um, ambidextrous on the piano. I mean, obviously, should be. You're using two hands, uh, generally speaking. But, there's a lot more, I, I almost have like a lot more confidence on the piano than I do on guitar. And there's a lot more possibilities with harmonic structure and everything on, on you know, using two hands. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely kind of write dif- differently on the two things. I mean, my guitar stuff is, oddly enough, on this record, there's a couple of things that are like extremely rocking. Like probably kind of the most rocking stuff I've ever oh, done cool. where it's, a little bit more, at least to the, maybe upon first listen, it's a little bit more simple and direct than some of my stuff in the past. But then once you dig in and if 
you know, God willing, if you listen to it more than one time, right. uh, it's going to reveal that it's actually not that simple. It's just kind of the takeaway of it is that it's just kind of this straightforward, simplistic thing. And then the piano stuff on the new record is, is probably even more adventurous than so it's kind of like the two extremes are represented on this new right. record where the where the the harmonic and melodic stuff is even more adventurous than it has been and the rocking stuff is more rocking than it was. Why not go all the way, man? Of course, you might as well. At this point in I mean, careers, it's like, come on, let's do it. I didn't know, I didn't know 2022 was actually going to happen, so I just thought I'm going to go out with just like no parameters, no none of my old, uh, you know, hey, I don't do that. That's that's not what I do, and right. I just threw all that stuff out the window, and now I'm just doing whatever the hell I want to. I mean, I always did, but I really am now. So we were talking a little bit before we went on the air here about you know you started to say hey you know last year was interesting, but now things are starting to happen. You said that you've been working your butt off for the last couple of three months or something, right? Tell me what you're doing. Well, it's mainly been just a actually it's mainly been just virtual recording stuff with for for other people or with other people but uh the main thing has just been my my stuff um, good just i just get you know i basically have a record done it's, i've had a record pretty much done for a few months now but i since i don't have a label or anybody or a manager saying hey where's that record come on man yeah. you're late um right. i it's not that i keep tinkering on those other songs i just keep writing new ones and i just kind of feel like i'm going to over record a bunch of new material and then at some point in the next month or so i'm going to sit back and take stock of what i've done and, and put that into a, make make a record out of that stuff but um I, i've done some interesting things i did i recorded some on a jade o'connor's new record um what yeah and that was i mean obviously they're just remotely yeah, they sent me the tracks from uh i need to talk to her by the way i've got to interrupt you for two seconds i don't know if, because we don't know each other Yep. I sing nothing compares to you when Pr Prince produced that on me. And of course, Sinead is the one who made it famous. And we've never talked about that. I mean, I don't know whether she's a person who would ever want to do that, but I am dying to meet that woman. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you were doing I that. haven't met her. You haven't met her either. Okay. No, no. But uh, that's crazy. Wait, so what, what was your, I, I, forgive my ignorance, but I, nope. I don't know your, your whole thing with Prince. So, okay. So I, I, in the, in the opener, I just said that you and I were signed to Paisley at different times. I was signed yeah. to him. I was in a group called Morstay in the time. Oh my God. Rain. Of course I know that. I'm so sorry. I didn't, I should have known that about you. Not at all, man. It's totally fine. Um, so I play keyboards in that pen and then he moved me to front this band that he had called the family. Okay. And the, the family was, uh, an offshoot basically. And he, it was a one chord funk record with, uh, bebop harmonies superimposed over the top by Claire Fisher. Wow. I'll send you it after. We'll talk offline. I think you'll dig that. You Please love do. the harmonics on that. You, you really like that. So that's, that's my background. And then I ended up leaving the fold and signing a solo deal at MCA. And that was fun. You and I have very similar things going on with our labels. <laughs> and yeah. we'll either talk about that or we won't. But, uh, so that's my background with, with Prince, though. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love Morris Day. I love that stuff. So you grew up in artsy, kind of an artsy family. Uh, you, you were, tell me a little bit about your mom and dads. And 
Yeah, my so my dad is a is still a painter. He was he's a kind of an abstract painter. He um, I was born in San Francisco, and then we went back to Texas to kind of uh, spend some time with his parents. Right, like right after I was born, right. and that was a little tiny town. I don't even I don't even really know where it is. Shame on me, but it's uh called it was called Big Spring, Texas. It's a little tiny, basically kind of like a truck stop town, yeah. and um. And then uh, we, he got a job at Pepperdine University here in Malibu and when I was four, and we moved out nice. here. So I've been out here since I was four. And my, yeah, so my dad, I mean, the records that he had, I don't even know if he actually bought them himself or if he just inherited them from a friend or something. But um, it, the, the records that I remember the most as a kid, like when I was first listening to music that I was putting on, um, I had a little Fisher Price little turntable thing. Oh, yeah. And and uh, it was Love De Capo that the, the Love record. Um, okay. It was um, Procol Harum, um, Santana. Um, oh, and then the most profound impact on me was made by the Piper at the Gates of Dawn Pink Floyd record. Oh. Stuff. So I was listening to that stuff when I was like five years old, four, four or five years old. Right. Um, that would uh, change the DNA of a. 35 year old when they first hear it. <laughs> but when you're four or five, I mean, that the impression that made on me was, was uh, profound. And uh, yeah, so yeah, so I was kind of always around, um, around music, but it, but at like right around, I mean, since I was like, you know, seven, eight, nine, that then, then the only music I was around was, was my own and, and what I, what I was interested in. And, you know, kind of the, the new wave thing was just kind of starting when I was around 10. Yeah. And I, and I got really into that. I got really, really into the. I, I, I really embraced the, uh, the changing of the guard for the most part. I mean, I, you know, I still love Led Zeppelin and all that stuff, like big time. But um, I just there was something this new thing happening, and everybody looked really different, and I just was totally mesmerized by it. So I got really into some, some punk stuff, but also like really, really into like Elvis Costello and Joe Jackson and the Clash and the Damned and all that stuff. But uh, some records that my dad also had when I was really young, and, and this, this made a really big impact on me. He used to um, make these movies of his, he would basically shoot like kind of home movies of the kids and, and my mom. And, uh, and then he would fastidiously paint parts of the, I'm talking about Super 8 the with frame. no sounds. The Super 8 is, is really thin. Right. And he would paint. So there'd be like, there'd be just like me and my sister running around in the backyard. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's just like, it's like this baked thing starts creeping in and then it just takes over. And then it's this really weird abstract like blob. And then it goes back into like my mom, you know, in the kitchen or something or, or whatever the dancing. And, um, the music that he would always play, because like I said, that was uh, super eight without sound. The music that he played for, uh, most often with that was this record called a rainbow in curved air by this guy, Terry Riley. Mm. Um, he was a he was an early electronic, uh, you know, modern composer. Not, more kind of you know, Steve Reich. Um, he's in that school. Steve Reich, Bill Blass, um, kind of repetitive, but um, really, really uh, thought provoking. Right. And man, I still love that record, "A Rainbow in Curved Air," which has to be where the Stuart Copeland Free Police Band, Curved Air, got their name. I gotta go check that out. Yeah, it's 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 again, it's it's a. You know, it's it's a challenging listen, like most of that stuff. I mean, these people were trying to redefine 
what music was. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's not, it's something else. It's obviously still music. It's coming out of speakers and it's notes, but it's, it's doing something other than, you know, what, what we, what we all believe music does. So that's the soundtrack, not only to the movie, but to your, to your childhood too. Pretty much. Yeah. And that had a really profound impact on me as well, because I have this thing that I feel like I'm always like, of course I'm interested in writing a song and I'm interested in conveying an idea and a, and a, and a message, however, however abstract. Um, and, but there's always something in my, even the most direct quote unquote pop songs that is kind of tugging at that and kind of almost confusing the very message or the very, um, you know, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's confusing the end result where I think some people are like, I don't, I don't really know what's going on with that. Cause it's like, yeah, it's like, it's catchy, but it's not really doing what I want it to do. Um, and I, I delight in that reaction. Odd bars, um, three and a half bars sometimes. And the, some of the ways you switch keys and then come back around is just brilliant. Oh, and oh genius. thanks. Man. And genius. Thank you. See, Thanks. I told you I'd get around to that one. <laughs> All right, yes, we got one. <laughs> we got one. There'll be many more. I've written them into my script. <laughs> so how do you, in, how do you, Mrs. Holcomb is sitting there trying to teach you, wow. you know, classical piano. And she's like, what's with the rock guitar, huh, Chase? Did she, did she, did she. <laughs> That's like, exactly how she talked. I bet it was. That's exactly how she talked. <laughs> hey, um, Jason, how you doing? Hey. Hey, what the hell's going What's on with here? the rock guitar with your high and the smearing yeah. guitar? We're doing classical Juilliard stuff here. Wow. Um, that's exactly right. Uh, well, yeah, I was... Uh, you were a I prodigy. Was, uh, Come on, let's talk about that a little bit. You were a prodigy on your way, if you so chose, to go to Juilliard. You had a ticket. Pretty much. Right? I, I pretty much did. And I uh, I remember having... Um, well, I couldn't even talk to my music teacher about um, the music that I was really interested in because she just, it, it just didn't exist for her. Yeah. Uh, and she was a phenomenal teacher. She was very dedicated, very passionate about the, the you know, the, the, the giants in the classical world. But, um, but yeah, I remember you know, getting into like, yes, and, and stuff like that in early Genesis. And I remember one time I was like, can I just play you something? And she's like, Oh my gosh, like, oh, if you must. And I put on, <laughs> I think I, like I don't know what I put on something off like Yes Drama, which is the one with Trevor Horn singing, which actually I love oh, that record. Right, and uh, she just stopped the tape. She's like, "This is not, this is not music." And I, it was so rigid, you know, the the whole world that I was in. That's that's not to say that that's how everybody in the classical domain uh, behaves, but in my experience, it was so rigid and so anti. She just she actually hated guitars. She's like, guitar is such an imperfect instrument. You have to tune it. Right. You know? Well, there you is that. You, you have, and the, how can the frets be all, how can that all be, you know, you have, it's not intonated up top. But that's why we love it, though. That's what's exactly. cool about it. And you know what's funny is, is the, the debris that carried on with me from this kind of attitude uh, stayed with me for quite a while. Because I remember, oh. you know, when, obviously, I always loved the Beatles, but. And with the Stones, I was kind of like, man, they can't tune their guitars. You know, I'm like, tune your guitar. And then now, the, and for the last 35 years, 
the most interesting and the most beautiful thing about the Stones is that it's their attitude. Because they didn't give a you-know-what. Well, exactly. And that, and that, somebody wasn't chasing around with a, with, a, with a strobe tuner like everybody does now. It's like, is that thing totally... T-? I can't tell you how many things I record and I'm like... Sharp. They're like, can you tune your... Can you tune that guitar? I'm like, believe me, I know it's out of tune. Slightly. <laughs> but it's out of tune. It's out of tune for a reason because it's going to chorus naturally with the last thing I did that was perfectly in tune. And then I bent the strings a little bit and I played the instrument and now it's slightly out of tune, but right. it's wonderful. Just trust me. And then everybody was like, just tune that thing. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Uh-huh. Right. Since you graduated from high school, you went off to Alaska. What are you doing in a cannery for crying out loud? Were you just getting away with your boys? Is that what that was all about? Well, we were all really into, um, the romanticism of, uh, you know the, the Steinbecks and the Hemingways and the, yeah, and, the, and that's that's literally why we went. We we thought it would be this uh, crazy experience, and it actually ended up uh, exceeding all expectations. For, really, for craziness. Uh, yeah, we uh, we drove up there. We drove from L.A., which took well. We took our time. We stopped. You know, we stopped every night. We left late in the day every every then the following day. We went to bars all the way up up the coast. Oh boy. We got detained in at the at the border for um, Canadian border. Did you have to go through to get back back up to Alaska? Because one of the guys that we had brought, it was it was two it was my two best friends, myself, and then one of the guys, one of my best friends was like, we need a fourth person, and I'm like, well, we don't, we're like the three musketeers. There is no fourth. And he's like, well, I know this guy that I'm working at the restaurant. So I'll invite him. I remember meeting this guy and I was like, this guy is an asshole. Like, I didn't like him at all. Right. Right. Check this out. We, <laughs> we had just bought a bunch of weed. And, um, and I don't smoke pot anymore, but I mean, I haven't smoked pot for a long time, but I did a little bit teenager. And I mean, pot to me is like acid. So it was never right. a good idea. Right. But, um, but uh, we, uh, we stopped to get to somehow somebody found a way to buy that. And then, uh, <laughs> and then the guy, uh, okay. And then we get really, really stoned. I remember we were listening to XTC Skylarking and we're just about to enter the, the hit the border like late at night. And we're all out of our mind. <laughs> and the, the guy that, the, the guy that was not part of the three musketeer, the outcast, he's like, Hey guys, I got to tell you something. And we're like, what? And he goes, yeah, um, I had a gun. Oh, brought a gun. Man. And we're like, and, and again, everybody's fake out of their minds, so it's just unthinkable. I'm just Tra- like, traumatic, of course. What are you talking about? And then he goes, we should probably hide these, um, we should hide the gun and we should hide the bullet. He had like Remington hollow point. <laughs> Who is right? this guy? He's an idiot. So, so we put the bullets in my friend's over-the-shoulder bag. When we pulled over, we hide the gun under the spare tire that's under the back. We're in a, one of those 70s Toyota Land Cruisers, you know, that are always like white and orange. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to lift the back area, the spare tires under the, the, basically the back of this thing. Hit the gun in there, get to the, get to the immigration. The guy's like, he just, he's like, truck the truck, like, the, you know, on the, on the PA thing, because he's looking at it, so we're out of our mind. Yep. Anyway, so 
Why did I tell that super long story about that? <laughs> going up I, the I, epic, epic uh, uh, Hemingway moments. Going oh, just the, into, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, we we did that. I stayed there for like three months. It was it was like uh, beyond Thunderdome. It was gnarly. Uh, wow. And uh, I finally got a, a flight out of there on a single engine Cessna that had mm-hmm. the Alaska Airlines logo on it. But I think it was spray painted. <laughs> it was not the chicken airlines, right? Was that, was that chicken airlines? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, that was a, a crazy thing. And then, uh, yeah, then when I was there, or I should say, when I got back, I really wanted. I kind of took inventory of what what my what was going on in my life, and I was like, I got to get my my shit together, right? And I um, put an ad out this in this free classified ad paper here called the Recycler. And oh, I remember that. Was that? I remember that. The you recycling. remember that? Yeah, oh, sure. fantastic. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, that's how I, I got in the three clock. And that was the kind of the first big thing I was in. So were they signed to Paisley before you were in the band or? Yeah. So they, they had started out on like, you know, the cool label like Frontier, which was like a kind of punk label here. And then they went to IRS. Okay. Uh, then. Yeah, so by the time I got in the band, they had just signed with Paisley Park. And I, I think the story goes uh, that, you know, Prince had his friendship and, and had worked with Susanna Hoffs. Right. And um, he, he, I guess he had asked her, like, what, el- what else is going on in L.A.? And Susanna Hoffs, being a, a good friend to the Three Clocks, said, well, the coolest thing in L.A. is the Three Clocks. So that's literally how they got signed. Wow. Did yeah. you record the record at Paisley or were you, did you record the record in L.A.? No, we recorded here in LA with uh, definitely chose the wrong producer. It's definitely not, not the right producer for that band. I mean, it was it's a really cool kind of kind of a very sweet kind of cool, mildly psychedelic pop band in that that whole scene here in LA in the early 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 eighties that was uh, known as the Paisley Underground. Yeah, uh, they were kind of you know this some of the figure main figureheads of that uh, of that scene. And then the record that we made that came out on Facebook Park was just abysmal. It's, uh, there's no, they didn't, the producer didn't let the drummer play the drums. Um, it's all like just programmed. Pro- DX7 is programmed, all that stuff. Back in those days, that's what it was all about, right? That's what it was about for a lot of people, but it was never Shouldn't about have that. Shouldn't have been for that band, right? That? Shouldn't have been for the your band. No, no, no. It would have been like programming Sonic Youth or something. Give me, give me oh. a break, you know? Uh, it would have been insane. I mean, not that Big Buck sounded anything like Sonic Youth, but it was a live band, you yeah. know. But uh, yeah, the record ended up sounding like the Escape Club or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're the only two people, by the way, who know who know what that is. <laughs> how long did how long were you in that band? Was that the end? Beginning of the end? Yeah, we did. Um, we did like a, maybe about a six month tour. Um, okay. And then it was just over. Yeah, they were they were they were tired, and I, and I was like, uh, it was like on its last legs when I like when I so okay, it was it was time for me to go. I think I actually quit, and then they just ah, yeah. Did you transition right into jellyfish after that, or was that was there a period of time there where you were kind of taking some time off? Or well, oddly enough, um, so so through the same recycler paper i uh i put an ad in the uh, i put an, an ad in the recycler 
looking for like-minded individuals. And I remember I put, uh, yeah, I put like, you know, multi-instrumentalist songwriter, um, looking for, uh, people into Bowie, XTC and the Blue Nile. You know, the Blue Nile? Yeah. I don't know them that well, but yeah. So there's only, I think three records from the Blue Nile and they were there. Those three things, you know, couldn't be more, uh, you know, disparate, uh, the Bowie thing was, and the funny thing to think of is that I didn't get, I only got one call on that ad um, because, but sort of Bowie hadn't yet kind of gone away. You know, this right, was like yeah, during the last spider like, era records, right? Like 80, it's like 80, I'd say this was like 87, 88. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that's, and so that's how I met, uh, I met Roger, Roger Manning was the only guy that called me. The, he was the oh, wow. Player. He's the only person who called in it. And literally the first thing he said was, I can't believe somebody in LA knows who Blue Nile are. And I was like, yeah, of course I know who they are. I love them. Um, there's, there was Scottish, like really, like really emotional, like, like sensitive, slightly te- techno, not, not techno, but slightly electronic, mm. but, but beautiful stuff. Um, and, uh, anyway, yeah. So he, uh, so I'm sorry, I got a little bit, a little bit of the story reversed. So that's how I met Roger. And then after I met Roger, I went to Alaska. And when I came back from Alaska, I was putting an ad in the paper and that's, or I was, I was checking to see my ad that I put in. Mm-hmm. I put in another ad and that's when I looked at the next section and saw the three talk guitar player. So when I joined that band, uh, it was about a year after I had met Roger and, and then Roger calls me up and he's like, man, I'm moving back up to San Francisco. Or I, I kept, yeah, he moved back up to San Francisco and he was like, I've just kind of joined forces with an old childhood friend of mine and we're looking for a guitar player and you're the guy. And I was like, well, I'm in three o'clock, man. Yeah. And he's like, what? And we just kept cracked about, but I didn't even know Roger. We'd only met one time, but, um, and then fast forward at, you know, about a year later after we had made the three o'clock record we're playing in, in San Jose near San Francisco. And, um, this guy walks up to me at the, at the, uh, at our sound check. And he's like, Hey, I think, you know, our keyboard player. And I'm like, who's your keyboard player? And he goes, Roger Manning. I'm like, what? Oh, oh, yeah. And the, 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 the Roger comes up to me. He's like, this is the band. So this guy, the guy that's going to be singing, playing drums is the guy that I, when I called you last year, I wanted, my dream is to have a band with him, myself and you, right. a trio. And, uh, so I watched that band and that was, that was the pre jellyfish band. And, and I saw Andy singing and, and playing drums and I didn't care about the gimmick of him standing and playing drums, but yeah. I did like his voice right. and, uh, I didn't like the band, but I liked whenever he sang. Right. So that's how that happened. And then, you know, like, like I said, we did about a six month tour with the uh, three clock. And then I think I called, called him and said, Hey, let, let me, uh, hear some demos. And they sent me these demos and they kind of blew my head away. Really? So, yeah, the, the demos blew me away. So I uh, and started figuring out how to move up to San Francisco to start that band with those guys, which I've regretted ever since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do one record with these guys, but here you are, uh, uh, you know, just a badass songwriter. And how was it that you weren't able to contribute to that record? <laughs> We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. 
First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earth, Wind & Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast. There are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website and there are many different levels on how you can become involved. We could not put on this podcast without our patrons. All right, let's get back to the interview. How was it that you weren't able to contribute to that record? You're, they, you're they wouldn't let me. They were, they were not interested. And that was not part was, of the jam, huh? for them anyway. Well, yeah, it was, it's really sad, actually, because I, I think, you know, the, the, the uh, combination of all three of us, well, first of all, I would have stayed in the band a lot longer. Hello. Had I been able to uh, have that output, uh, and the songs would have been better, but um, no, they just had a real, you know, they just had a real, I guess, you know, strict kind of idea for what they wanted it to be like, and they they didn't want anybody, you know, uh, involved, anybody else involved. And it's, you know, I mean, I understand that. I guess the the thing that I kind of held on to as far as a resentment for a long time was that I was kind of like deceived a bit, to be honest, uh. when you know, when they first were asking me to be in the band because they're like, Hey, we want you to write, you know, we want this to be like a democracy. We want this to be like, like three equal people in this band. And that, and that sounded pretty damn good to me. So right. I agreed and uprooted my life and moved up there. And then every single song I brought in, they're like, no, oh, it's really good, but it's just not right for this band. <laughs> and then, I, I mean, I, I heard that, that is so the many worst times. line ever. What's I hate, that? I said, I hate that line. It's brutle. It's, it it's is brutal. brutal. It's like, wait a minute. And then they just start going, do I suck? What is yeah. this? What's up with that? Yeah, it's a total it's not brush right off. For this band? I thought you wanted me in this band. Okay. I understand. I got you. Yeah, you, yeah I can tell I can tell we hit, we hit a nerve here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so yeah. Well, that, so that I, had to be stifling for you. Oh, it was, it was, it was basically the first brick in the wall. Got and it. then uh, first, first of many, I mean, I built a, I built a, a big, a big wall by the end of uh, my tenure in that band. Um, so yeah. Uh, cause yeah, the, so the second we did like a year touring, it was crazy. Wow. The black crows asked me to be in the band, their band. What? And I said, no, if I do that, I think I probably would only live maybe two or three more years. <laughs> so, <laughs> you might be right there. You might be right. I very lightly and, uh, flatteringly said, uh, thanks. No thanks. And then, uh, yeah, and then the then they were asking the religious guys were like, "Come back up, do your guitar magic," and I was like, "Can I write some songs?" And they're like, "Well, you know how we are," and I was like, "Well, this is how I am. Like, yeah. I'm out of here. Well, you, I'm out seems, of here." It seems to me like you've always had a pretty good handle on who you are musically. Is that yeah. true? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've actually even changed that much this whole time. I think um, I kind of like that thing I was kind of touching on earlier. Um, you know, wanting to make a, a make a musical and lyrical statement, uh, wanting to write, a, you know, aspiring to write 
uh, great songs or songs that at least entertain me. Yeah. Um, and, but also like have this kind of dynamic that's like tugging at it or kind of, or kind of obscuring it or, you know, it's, it's probably, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing this is probably the reason why I don't have any commercial success because I actually, it's like a huge sh- shooting myself in the foot by, by doing this thing that I'm talking about. And I don't even do it intentionally anymore. It might've started out intentional because I just, it's so bored with like a song that just has one dimension, you know, or two yeah. dimensions, you know, it's, it's so boring to me. It's, I want to hear, I'd rather listen to a chainsaw than like a singer songwriter. Uh, playing some trite thing about his feelings. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I have this kind of like, it's almost like a rebellion to the actual, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very confusing place to be. Uh, but, but it's also you know who like, you are, but do, do you know how many artists out there who are wildly successful, who have no idea who they are musically? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 90% terrifying. of them. It's terrifying. It actually really bothers me. I'm like, yeah, should we call them something other than an artist if they don't know who they are? Like, you know what I mean? It's sometimes like, it takes people their entire careers to finally find their voice, man. I think that you, in my opinion, I don't think you've been shooting yourself in the foot. I think you've been sticking to your guns and definitely. the definition of a true artist. So kudos to you because who who does that other yeah. than a true artist? I think that's com- Commendable, man. I think I think that's awesome. Well, I and it shows that. up in the in, in the productions that you do, the arrangements that you do, the string arrangements that you do. Uh, nobody can. Uh, no, I mean, there's no one like what you do. I mean, even the different instrumentation that you bring to the party, the the arrangements that you bring to the party are uniquely Jason Faulkner. I mean, there's no question about that. So that's. I think that's something to be proud of, man. Well, I know I appreciate that, and I, and I, I, I actually am genius, very, genius. I I'm said a, it. That's two. <laughs> well, that's two. <laughs> yes, we can, we can do more. Um, There's more. No, I, uh, yeah, I'm actually not, you know, like unhappy with my sort of uh, play, place in life, and that you know, I, I feel like it, it is, it is um that that general, like I don't have anything that keeps me up at night. I mean, I have some people in my life that keep me up at night, and I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a but I'm who way. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I should have said I mean that in every way the yeah. the, the good way and the bad way. Um, right. But um, but yeah, it is. Um, I, I can't. I mean, so many people have said like to me something along the lines of, "Yeah, you know, like you've like you're you were all like people that I've known for a long time, but like you're exactly the same. You're like still the same person. You're like." And and they don't mean that as negative, like you right. have peer syndrome, or you're like, what, like, why don't you grow up and have a kid or something? What's wrong with you? Um, some people say that, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, it's just um, my yeah, my taste hasn't changed. Like what what really get, what really gets me off musically is not has not really changed, and I kind of still listen to a lot of the same stuff I listened to, uh, you know, I've been listening to for decades, and um, you know, I have a really really fast and highly I'll use the annoying word curated um, uh, LP and, and seven inch library at this point. I mean, my collection's out of control and um, there's, it's all killer, no killer. And um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I just, you know, I just sit around listening to records and then just, and then I, when I'm writing a song, I'm just trying to write a song that, that I haven't 
and, and the, especially the way that I record it and the, the way I arrange it, trying to, I want to make something for just to listen to almost as a fan. So it's like, yeah. I want to make something that I haven't heard. And again, I'm not, my music is not experimental. It's not, um, it's not the resonance, um, at all. Um, it's very much still within a, uh, kind of a classic song, uh, structure, but within that, I like to do things that are a little bit, um, uh, unexpected, you know? So yeah. that's, that's pretty much my whole style right there. And that's, uh, be 35 bucks for the DVD for me to explain that. Um, <laughs> and you can get it after this podcast is done by going to one 800 the Ronco Faulkner video. That's right. The new and nautical. What's what keeps you doing this stuff, man? What keeps oh, I, you motivated I, I, to get up every morning and fight the good fight and be in a good place about it? Because sometimes this business can be complete bullshit. Yeah, I can lay you out. It it, it did lay me out for quite a while. I, I feel like I kind of um sorry, I, I just cut my hair recently and I feel like it looks like um <laughs> like I'm in looks like I'm in the jam or something, but like this little thing. What's that? I said, I wish I had more hair to cut. Oh, well, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. But uh, uh, what keeps me doing it is I'm still so excited to, um, you know, when I used to have a tape machine, just throw on a, a virgin reel of tape. Uh, now that I record digitally, I still have a, I still have a, uh, an old console from the 70s. Mm. Um, I have a, a room in my house that has everything in it. Um, and I just am so excited to create something. Um, and I, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is like, I just want to listen to a song that I can't find anywhere else. I want to make the song that I'm trying to, that I want to hear. Um, and nobody else is, nobody else is going to write it. So I have to write it. And, um, I also have a still like a, a real, like, like, um, adolescent, um, energy and joy to, uh, the, the the performing of each instrument see that's a whole nother aspect to to my whole thing whatever you want to call it that maybe uh isn't isn't that common is that i do i do actually play every instrument it's not programmed it's not right. it's not like oh i i clunk on the drums like a toddler and then i fix them in pro tools <laughs> beat detective i'm not i'm actually performing the drums right all the way through i don't cut i don't i don't cut the chorus and paste it on the other choruses right. no the damn song is supposed to move and it's supposed to build and all this stuff and things are supposed to happen. What a concept, man. I know, right? What? Like, what? This like is Some new. people are scratching their head. What is he talking about? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, imagine if, uh, imagine if Revolver was auto-tuned and, and, and Beat Detective. Oh. My God, what a tragedy. So, anyway, um, so I'm trying to, I guess, explain that another component of the whole joy and the, and the, and the, what I get out of all this is playing my instruments that I have, that I've, I've amassed this collection. That's, that's not unlike my, my LP collection. It's a very specific, I definitely have a style. If anybody who sees my guitar collection, first of all, they're like about 75% of them. They're like, what? I've never seen those. I don't know. What is that guitar? And I'm not collecting weird, stupid looking loop guitars or anything. I'm like, this is like just cool, mainly sixties and seventies, um, kind of oddball things. But, they give me something every time I pick them up. And at this point, I don't, I've sold everything that I don't care immensely for. So 
all of the stuff that I have in there has personality, has a personality. And it actually kind of, there's a, there's a relationship that maybe because it's not the easiest guitar to play, it makes you do something different. Like you, it's a little bit of a, there's a, there's a dialogue. Right. And it's not just like, listen to this, like perfect 58 Les Paul and man, it's like butter. And like, I have a few guitars that are like butter, but I have a lot of guitars that are more like, Angry. Sandpaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> son of a gun. Come on, yes, we can do I surrender. Yeah. Um, but I no, but I love that. And then, you know, I just I'm really into trying to get things to sound tough. And I have this whole thing about everything should sound tough. Yeah. And what I what I mean by that is 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 just a sonic thing. It's not the it's not the tone of the, of the instrument. It's the tone of the mix. And I don't even think that I necessarily was nailing what I'm talking about until this record. Um, wow. because, because I didn't each, each thing, each time I record a new thing, I learn so much because I never studied it. I don't have any, I can't, as soon as I need to read a manual for anything that I own, I can no longer read, speak or understand English. <laughs> <laughs> like I cannot that's I cannot not process that's not, that's compute. not compute malfunction yeah. so yeah so I everything I learn is trial and error and it's, it's learned organically and frustratingly and so uh, for that reason I think you know when you when you have to learn something like that that way you actually retain what you learn because it's, it's, it's not discovery just, it's not just accessible here in a manual or on a YouTube instructional video or whatever I can't even look up anything on a YouTube instructional video because as soon as the guy starts talking, I'm like, I can't listen to you. Because it's usually an ad first anyway. What's that? It's usually an ad first anyway. It's an ad and then it's just some techno jerk off. Like, hey, it's so late. (laughs) Now we're going to edit drums, bros. I'm just like, no, we're not. Um, Bye-bye. Yeah. So that's kind of like, um, yeah. So I just really get into, to, you know, making a, I, my, my, I mean, one of my favorite things too is also I'll be working on something and I'll, and I just, I can't get it to feel right. And I'll, I'll start convincing myself that I might have to like redo the drums or something, which is, you know, uh, pretty, it's yeah. pretty laborious to do yeah. that. Cause, cause you've, you know, you've performed some of the subsequent overdubs to that flawed drum track, yep. as, as you know, and then to redo the drums, you might have to redo everything. So yep. anyway, uh, and then, there will sometimes just be this one, what I call the magic overdub that makes everything work. And it's yeah. oddly enough, oftentimes it's an acoustic guitar. Um, and because there's a lot of rhythm generally in, a, in an acoustic guitar, there's a lot of, a lot of notes just rhythmically, um, whether you're picking arpeggiating through something or strumming through something. And that will soften the wobbliness or, or clunkiness of the drum track because you're having a little bit of, it's almost like chorusing rhythmic, right. you know, you know what I mean? So, uh, and, and then, and then I'm jumping up and down by myself and I was always jumping up and down by myself, even pre pandemic. Right. I, I'm always alone in the studio. So I'm like, can anybody hear this shit? And like, there's nobody there. There's never anybody there. Um, and I'm just jumping up and down. Like I, I did it. I, this thing is insane. And, um, and then I, <laughs> then I sit on it for, years and uh that's the story of my life well that's part that's part of the art though which leads me to my next question which is can art 
and the music business live together. I mean, your story is similar to my story with record labels, fun with record labels, people getting promoted and or let out of your life who signed you, you and me, but it's same. Yeah, yeah. How is it that we can make music and be in the music business at the, at the same time? Does that work for you? Um, I don't know because I'm not really in the music business anymore. Uh, like, I mean, I'm actually not. I My last two records came out on a Japanese-only label. Right. Which are fantastic people. And they certainly are. Shockingly gave, they shockingly gave me, like, more money than you would think of for, for put on my records. Uh, but I don't have a manager. I don't have a lawyer. I don't have an agent. And haven't for a decade. Uh, oh. So I kind of, like, I'm not really doing it, uh, you know, to, to, I'm not doing it the typical way. Um, obviously, I do think that I do think that they can coexist, but I think it's extremely rare. And I think that, uh, generally speaking, the, the people who, I think generally speaking, the people who seem like they're like really credible artists or something, or like really, they really mean it, man. And, and, um, and all this, it, it, in, it's, if you're seeing them on TV or hearing them on the radio, then, then they fool you. Yeah. yeah. You know, because I feel like, I feel like, I'm just saying that uh, generally, of course, there are exceptions to that, to that theory. But for the most part, there is a lot of um, planning and a lot of um, looking around what's happening, a lot of keeping up with Joneses, and a lot of trying to be ahead of the, the game by, you know, sort of like aping stuff or, or plain old theft of other things that happens with the people that you see and hear about the most. Yeah. Yeah. As far as music, musicians and singers, songwriters, whatever artists, I, I really, I really think the word, the term artist, I have, I have such a problem calling uh, like, you know, some pop guy, an artist, uh, yeah. but, um, but yeah, so I don't know. I think, um, I just think it's infinitely more fun and satisfying and, and, you know, ultimately, like uh, soulfully gratifying to to make the music to to make whatever it is music, art, film, literature uh, to do to do exactly what you want. And if you can do exactly what you want and actually kind of get away with that and not go into too much debt or get <laughs> arrested, yeah, then you're doing all right. Right. You, know? you tour with a lot of different people too, so you can get out and get your yeah. you know your jollies out by playing and and. Do you gravitate towards, uh, you play mostly guitar when you go on tour with, with folks? Well, if the first touring I did as a kind of a member of a band that I didn't have anything to do with uh, until I was on stage with them, that was Air. That was back right. in like 2000 uh, in the French band Air. And in that band, I was playing bass and I was, um, and, and the bass is kind of the most, well, it's not the most, but it's a very prominent um, character in their music. Got it. Uh, and Nico, the redheaded of the two, there's two guys. Nico plays, um, they both play keyboards, but Nico plays some guitar and bass. And he's a great bass player. I love his bass playing. It's very kind of, uh, it's incredibly uh, sexy, uh, you know, 1971. Uh, it's like kind of Klaus Vormann, okay. but also uh, Morricone and all, all that. Okay. And uh, very cinematic. And um, so I was playing bass which that's what he did on the record but uh 
I ended up going bananas in that band and like really turning the bass to something else. And I was like, I was basically, I was playing lead bass. It was, really? it was lead bass. <laughs> and I, I was, I was like shredding on the bass. No way. That's wild, And there's, there's, there's footage of it. There's a lot of footage of it. But, uh, I just remember one time <laughs> there was this section in the song where I would step on one of those, um, electro harmonics, micro synths. Mm -hmm. They go like, it's like a filter, uh, like an envelope. And I, and I step on this thing and do this crazy distorted shredding solo on the bass, noisy and fast. Right. And then I just remember this one time, I think we were at the Olympia in Paris and I was so in the moment that I put the bass up here and started playing it with my teeth like Hendrix. <laughs> Gotta see this. And, and check this out. While I'm doing it, like I'm mid plucking with my teeth, like maybe going to break my tooth. I'm just like completely in this moment. I had one profound thought that this is too far. I've gone too far. <laughs> You've, you found the line and you have crossed. I have, I have, I have burned the line with my, with my, you know, with my trail. And I took the bass down from my face. And I look, and I look, Nico, expecting to see him going like, which yeah. he never did. He was always very excited about what I did, but I, I thought he was going to be like, maybe just kind of like look away and start, playing, you know? Yeah. And he's just looking at me and I can read his lips and he goes, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're egging you on, man. At that point I was like, I can do no wrong in this band. Cause if I can play range. the bass with my teeth in a, in a down tempo electronic band, Oh my Lord, I can do anything I want to do. So that was, That was a really fun experience for me being in that band. Those guys treated me like I was a total equal. They put me in the front and center. Uh, those guys played mainly the two, the two stations of keyboards. They didn't care about, they didn't want to be in the spotlight. They didn't want to be in the center of attention. The, the air music, uh, the live show is all about the music and all about the live show. It wasn't about the personalities. Except I couldn't help but just inject a bunch of my personality the same because That's I was so excited. Great. Because it was so fun to do, so that do was really. Time, do you have a better time playing live than you than being in the studio? Or are they kind of just totally different worlds for you and equally fun? Totally different, equally fun. Okay, no, no preference. Just, actually, they're they're almost unrelated for me. Yeah, I hear, I hear you. You know what I mean? Yep. Live, live I don't even I don't even know how I get through the day because I put so much energy into the show. Yeah. And like with Beck now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm running around like Wayne Kramer and that's hard to do um, when you're not 23 years old. Weren't you just up, were you in Minneapolis with him the last time? Uh, yeah, we played it. We did a, a live thing at Paisley Park. At Paisley. I saw that. that. I've never seen it. No way. I've never seen it. I never watch any of the stuff that we do. How come? Uh, because when, well, I should say I used to and, and, and it's because it's a moment and the moment in my mind is. First of all, my, my um, impression of what just happened is usually wrong. Oh. Um, so I'm like, that was insane, or that was like terrible. And then, I, yeah. then somebody's like, that was the best show I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, mm, well, you weren't watching. And, uh, or, <laughs> yeah, well, so you're wrong. Yeah, you're stupid, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, since this... Uh, because we're coming up on an hour here, I, I want to be good to you and, and, and let you go fairly soon here, but 
because it's called Music on the Run, uh, we're going to talk about, let's grab your cocktail now. We're going to talk about health for a second. Yes. Cheers to you. Cheers. How have you survived for all these many years, man, being out on the road? Uh, is there anything that you do just to keep sane when you're on the road or when you're, when you're in the studio? Um, anything like running or, or yeah, I, I see where you're going. things like that? I, 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 I regret to inform you that I have literally no regimen. I have no discipline. Okay, well, that's I good. No, I have no workout thing. I, I'm lucky that I stay thin. Um, yeah, I, right. I do, I do, I do leave something on my plate. That's you that's do. the thing I learned a long time ago. There leave we go. something on your plate, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first. Stay skinny by leaving something on the plate. <laughs> <laughs> you may want those last three French fries, but they don't. No, no. they don't deserve leave you. Them. Uh, but uh, you know, and then I just—I mean, I definitely walk. I, I like to get out of my room. Um, yeah. Kind of sad the last time I went to New York, which was uh, with Annie, the same Vincent to do as SNL, and it was you know New York is a is a shadow of its former self. Um, or oh yeah, last month um, everything is getting better, but but normally so then I didn't really get to cruise around, and we were staying in a kind of a lame part of town to be close to uh, close to uh, NBC, but um, but yeah, normally I get out and walk a lot. And so that's, that's how I kind of keep it together because it's, it's really hard. And I, and I, you know, I, I drink and, that's uh, okay. you know, and, uh, so, and I'll drink during a show during, oh, uh, I, I used to, I was a pro. I was in the Steve yeah. Miller band and we, we'd, our roadies would come and, and fill our glasses with vodka and a little splash of cranberry. We used to call it a bloody tooth. And I'm like, bloody tooth. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. Wait, what, what, uh, what era with Steve? 88 to 93. Oh, man. My, and I mean, my, with my two brothers. Oh, yeah. It was, it was on. Wow. I played That's guitar. Crazy. I played guitar. My brother played bass. My other brother played keyboards. Wow. But they should have just dropped the boss off at Hazleton, uh, and it would have been much better off. We had so much fun. It was, oh. should have been illegal. Oh, man. I bet. I love really Steve Miller. Steve Miller is such a good guy too, man. And he, he? talk about knowing who someone is. He knows exactly who he is, and he doesn't yeah. take shit from anybody. Yeah, He's I mean that man, that seventies, that that like his basically his greatest hits record is insane because it's an entire record of massive hits, massive cool sounding hits too. Super, super well weird, produced. yeah. Like um, like what is it? Uh, Big old jet airliner. Is that the name of that song? Yeah, but that's a cover. Did you know that? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, it's, there's an old blues guy who he, he covered that. Go back and hear the uh, the old version. You'll be like, whoa, it's totally way more dusty wow. and, and cool. I'll send that to you after we get off here. But, okay, uh, cool. Yeah. This is so unfair, man. <laughs> there's so much more to talk about. Your solo records, I know it's been covered before, but what can we expect this record that you're working on? When are we going to? Why don't we hear this son of a gun, man? Um, well, I'm going to get it out this uh, this year. I just okay. don't know. Um, I just don't yet know how. I mean, you know, if I'm going to try and find a label or if I'm just going to uh, self-release or, or I, don't, I have no idea. NFT? I have no idea. Um, but, but it will be this year for sure. And um, 
I, I mean, if I didn't feel this way, I, I probably wouldn't be motivated to, to work on music anymore. But I really, truly think it's the most, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the body of work that I'm most proud of, of, wow. of all my records, for sure. Um, it's got a lot more sort of range. Um, and this is, I'm saying a lot more range. Uh, this is the same guy that had, you know, Miracle Medicine and Before My Heart Attacks on one record. And one sounds like a Cold Porter tune and one sounds like a Buzzcock song. So right. to say it's got a lot of range is I'm, I, I'm not, uh, don't under, underestimate that. It's, uh, it's just got a lot of different things happening. And there's, some, there's moments that are really, um, really direct without as many kind of um, sonic distractions or even lyrical distractions or, you know, like little left turns. There's some stuff that's very direct, yeah. which, I'm really, which I'm really proud of because to me, that's kind of the hardest thing to do. Um, every time I see like, um, you know, like see the old, the early country, not, not the early, but the golden era for me, country guys, like late, late sixties, early seventies, George Jones and Glenn Campbell and, mm. and all that. Um, I am the lineman for the county. Oh man. I've, I've, Ooh, I've covered to cover that man. Yeah. Um, but you know how they just would, they're so sincere and earnest. And when they're the way they're just looking in the camera and there's no bullshit, there's no right. like, there's no like, I'm being weird. No, this is a human being pleading to you. Right. They're pleading their case. Right. And I absolutely adore that. Even though I've just spent the last hour talking about being abstract and all this stuff. I also, <laughs> I, I, I also okay. really love the direct, you know, succinct, statement from my heart to yours yeah please 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 hear me yeah. and so that's another thing to throw into my mix that it's just that's why i'm always confused because i have all these different things right. that i that i love all these different gods that i serve if you will and um so there's a bit more of that on this record is what i'm saying there's definitely some very direct sincere <clears throat> i mean it's all been sincere but you know what i mean well, so. hur well hurry up we we need this thing well, I'm, I'm the fans need it. Are you touring this year too? Um, I might do a little bit more with, with Annie, but I'm not sure. Um, and then I will definitely figure out some way to do some shows, whether it's just me by myself. Yeah. Um, I mean, thankfully none of my fans thus far have seemed to, um, mind when I do solo shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're not like, Oh man, I thought he was going to be with a band. I'm out of here. Um, but that's also might be because I play so infrequently. Um, yeah that they don't leave. <laughs> but, but it's an honest approach too, man. It's two sides of the coin. Yeah. And you can really hear the songs. Um, yeah. And because I think when I get my bands together, my bands always like rock. I, yeah. I always make my bands rock really hard. Like we rock way harder than the record oh. because again, again, I don't really look at the two things like they're even hardly related. It's like when it's live, I want it to be like, come on. And in the studio, that's not always how I'm, that's not always where I'm coming from. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll be doing some touring stuff. Good, man. Well, I, yeah. thank you so much for spending an hour with us. I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about more stuff, but maybe at some point in our lives we'll get to hang out and uh, do a part two, whether it's going to be recorded or not. We don't care. It'd be fun to hang out with you in person, man. I'm going um, to make that happen. Yes, that was super fun. Thank you, Paul. Thanks so much. And that's it, everybody. St. Paul here. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. <laughs> Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razzo. Artist relations by Owen Sartori. 
video editing by Tanner Montague. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, go ahead and do your own thing. Yeah.